Hello and welcome, dear listeners, to the next episode of Civis Pachem. Today's episode will be our continuation of the uh, discussions about the coronavirus and its impact on society, international politics, and international security. Enjoy! Hello, welcome dear listeners to the new episode of Civis Pacem, where your host uh, Dimitri and Vava. And today it's 25th of um, April when we record this podcast and we are here to discuss ev- everything that's connected to virus, how it changes us, how it changes society and security. Unfortunately, I would love to skip this topic finally, I would love to discuss something yeah. else, but unfortunately we are not able to and we're forced to discuss the same thing over and over again. Yeah, but that's our life right now. And so Yes, it is. But now it's so politicized at the same time. Like You remember when first time we recorded our podcast about the virus? Um, it wasn't politicized, right? It was oh, like... no. It wasn't at all. It was more like, you know, statistics about yeah. uh, the number of cases. A bit economy, but... A bit economy, mm. yes. Especially Chinese economy. Yeah. And everybody was predicting that it's going to hit China hard. Yeah. That, uh, that it will crumble their exports and ruin their economy but right yeah. now everyone seems to think differently saying yeah. that china will come out on top differently yes we already this, discussed this what we already discussed but i mean we were kind of like a little bit ahead of other people and it became mainstream it, a couple of weeks later everyone like if you go to any website or you know, political or any kind of like cnn you see all this you know, articles about China and how the US should combat China. And this is like the new uh, race, so to speak, new Cold War. Now it's definitely clear we are like in the state of some um, rivalry between the US and China and something like this. And it wasn't obvious, you know, when it started. And We predicted it. But I guess, it, I mean, if you think about Chinese, the state of Chinese government, it's actually obvious. I mean... How they can, you know, high statistics, uh, you know, their response to virus and also the connection of like, Chinese response to international organizations, to WHO. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. The topic of WHO is yeah. heated right now. It's very heated. And uh, how, do you, how do you feel about this? And, you know, America withdrew funding, I guess. China substituted funding, I guess, almost, almost entirely. It's like they substituted like 80% of the funding. Uh, how do you feel about it? Do you think it's a good decision to, you know, withdraw funds? Uh? Yeah, I'm not sure if it's a good decision uh, overall for the planet and for the uh, U.S. foreign policy because I guess they're just giving up yeah. their influence in WHO, which is still an important international organization. But I understand where the decision is coming from because clearly mm-hmm. WHO uh, made a big mistake, willingly or, or not, by trusting the Chinese statistics. Yeah. And it's, uh, I think, kind of obvious that you are not supposed to trust a totalitarian government. Yeah. I think the Chernobyl disaster is the greatest example that when there is a disaster, the totalitarian state yeah. will try to conceal it as much as they can, which, as in terms of Chernobyl, had uh, really bad consequences for the entirety of Eastern Europe and Europe as a whole. Yeah. So uh, the WHO made a mistake of trusting all of the Chinese statistics, which we have yeah. now a lot of evidence saying that they were lowered and they were not true yeah. and probably still aren't. 
but now the question is: Was did they cooperate with the chat with China or just blindly trusted them yeah. uh, in their statistics? And on top of that, they declared uh, uh, they declared the virus pandemic very very late. This is this is true, and they like they had like a meeting before that, and there was like this head of uh, WHO, which is very like, clearly sponsored, like Chinese candidate, that uh, kind of like said that it's 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 too early to declare a pandemic in the first like meeting when they discussed it, because he was like highly influenced by Chinese data, and he was like, okay, everything is fine, China is like trying like managing situation pretty fine, mm-hmm. and we should trust China. That's like what the like data that we have is like a good data but then it's actually the question whether they like intentionally downplayed it or it was some kind of you know power power dynamic and power struggle in Chinese in, in Chinese in communist party in China you yeah. know when people I mean uh, I know a lot about this stuff I guess because I see like how like the system authoritarian system works in Russia it's the same thing you know you don't really want you know, like the coming like the top of the party know the actual situation on the ground just because you're afraid you're going to lose your job and something like this so what do you think do you think it's like wasn't like did they intentionally downplay like the situation or it was some kind of you know power dynamic power struggle in chinese power system i think my guess would be that uh well uh, they weren't working for the chinese uh directly but i think they were uh they might have had their concerns about the reliability of yeah. the Chinese data, but they didn't want to bring it up because they were scared of the Chinese response. Uh, I think they were just um, under the influence of uh, Chinese, uh, maybe even hard power because yeah. China is powerful. And when you're an international organization, you don't want to basically piss off one of the biggest yeah. empires on, on planet Earth. So I guess they just decided, okay, guys, yeah, their data might be false, but we do not want to mm-hmm. piss them off. And let's go with their data and let's trust them. And also what people say, uh, it's something like they, they don't have any mechanisms to pressure them. Like basically what they can do, they can receive this data and say, okay, fine, now we're going to make sense of this data. So nothing like there's nothing they can actually do with this. Like they couldn't demand, uh, you know, they couldn't uh, request some inquiry. Or yeah, like exactly. They, they had no authority to... Uh, yeah. You know, I know to send their own delegates to investigate. Yeah. So they just don't have the legal basis for that. So uh, I don't really think that WHO could have done more. Uh, but it's still a shame that that's how it turned out. Oh yeah, and now you know this is like the world is so split, and you can clearly see that the US kind of withdrew its. I don't know hegemonic powers, so to speak, from the world, and now it's exactly it's another instance of the U.S. withdrawing from international organizations, which they help establish. Yeah. Uh, so uh, it's really an ironic, ironic times that we live in. I would say. Yeah, it's uh, very interesting. But at the same time, you see uh, so much happening in South China Sea. So basically, people who don't know, you know, there's like a lot of maneuvers and they're crossing like uh, Taiwanese Strait, if yeah, I pronounce yeah. it correctly. But there's, uh, and of course, uh, in the area, there are a lot of American ships. 
and they always kind of in a close proximity with each other, which makes you know situation kind of very hard. Uh, yeah, the tensions are high. Very very high tensions, and you don't know how it's gonna turn out because uh, at the end of the day, you know, I mean, I always said that I mean we should be afraid of I guess uh, the war between uh, China and the U.S. Not I mean not the U.S. and Russia clearly like they have. Totally different objectives towards each other, but China and the US and South China Sea is definitely in you like a area where you can have some kind of like war, or at least some uh, skirmishes or something like that. Yeah, or even a proxy war. Yeah, you know, the US has enough uh, proxy forces to to use in the region, yeah. and China, I'm sure, they will be very glad to expand their influence over you know. Yeah. Uh, Vietnam and of course Taiwan, which they still claim is their rightful territory, and Taiwan yeah. saying China is their rightful territory. Um, but yeah, if you think it's like from you know like clearly real, like like realist perspective, it it will be so easy for like China right now, I guess, to conquer Taiwan. It but will. don't you think that the international consequences would be too? Let's not now look true. at this from the like you know. Uh, but like then, let's discuss it from the perspective of the virus. What kind of consequences? Everything you know now is very nationalistic in this world. And like the question, what is going to be nationalistic after the virus? Yes, that's true. But you know, let's let's make a um, collective security argument, and people will look at the Chinese invasion of uh, Taiwan. Let's say, yeah. and yeah, this wouldn't be a problem militarily for China, but then neighboring countries might say. We have to react because we might be next. Yeah, I'm sure countries like uh, perhaps Mongolia and Vietnam, mm -hmm. especially China, has a history of wars with Vietnam, even though Vietnam is uh, in the communist sphere of influence. Yeah. But uh, I mean, it's still now working towards uh, the U.S. because they have this uh, territorial dispute in South yes, China. Yes, yes, exactly. And they have no interest in like, close cooperation with China, even though they have economic cooperation because you cannot escape, you know. Chinese, uh, Chinese influence, economic influence in this region. So I think even from the realist perspective, it would make sense for the countries to uh, in the region of China to contest such an invasion simply for their you know individual gains. Countries like Japan, I'm sure, would be totally uh, would totally interfere. South Korea as well, because yeah. it's their you know this alliance uh, would be anti-Chinese, and nothing brings people together more than a common enemy. So. But then, if you if you see some kind of American withdrawal in this area, then there won't be any kind of power like able like uh, in the like which have like any kind of power which has ability to uh, to uh, to have a response like uh, against Chinese forces because they're growing, and but they don't have you know enough vessels, enough uh, carriers. And yes, China has. Uh, tremendous strengths and numbers. Also but potential. They have yeah, potential, potential they do have, but yeah. uh, they are still severely behind on technology. Yeah. Uh, all the technology that they use, it's mostly like military technology. It's reverse engineered Soviet technology. Uh, so True. They did include some upgrades, uh, but the basis, like the main backbone of their armed forces, yeah are technological uh, inventions from the 80s or early 90s. But now they buy Russian technology, like technologies, for example, they buy S-400, and one of the arguments, for example, that they can use S-400 during invasion of Taiwan, because, mm -hmm. I mean, that basically going to prevent any kind of forces in their um, you know, area 
area uh, air defense uh, area and this yeah. is like uh, why they buy like, uh, like buying like russian technologies they also can reverse engineering them but did, but did they already sell it or was yeah. a contract signed I'm yeah this is, uh, they, they sold them it's i guess uh, we, we can we could check them check it later uh, i mean at least they signed the contract mm -hmm. and i guess like russian like provide already provides them with s400 and they already i guess deployed some of them but then they're going to provide even more so it's uh, that's why it's kind of probably is a big concern for some American military strategists because it basically you know that's what's called area defense uh, area denial systems like mm -hmm. basically prevents any kind of forces to operate in this area without like significant losses like yes the, that is uh, true like you should kind of like make this decision either you lose you know some airplanes uh, some F thirty fives. Or you just like don't don't go there because I mean like, risks are very high. But this is actually the advantage of the F thirty five because of its stealth E technology. It's not complete stealth because yeah. it still can be detected by radar systems. But you know the uh, classical missions of suppression of enemy air defenses. You know the harm missiles, etc. If I have, I'm still quite positive that F thirty five would be able to get in yeah. range to launch a harm missile to an S four hundred and then immediately withdraw without yeah. taking too much losses. But then when you hear, when you follow like Russian military news, what they're saying is like stealth technology is obsolete because the Russian radars, like some of them can actually spot, you know, uh, stealth, uh, stealth airplanes and kind of like almost in proximity, like uh, at least like 500 kilometers from 500 to 1,000 kilometers, which makes, I mean, kind of like useless to use stealth technology. Then why, I mean, would, then why would Russia invest in stealth technology herself? Yeah, because it's, it's still, they still need it. But I mean, this is also like the Soviet-American rivalry when Russia heavily invested in radars and some kind of area defense systems and America invested in some air superiority systems that's mm -hmm. like logical consequence of, you know, different, like very... I would say different budgets because, I mean, of course, the US has a way bigger budget, but Russia also has some incredible military technologies. Well, and yeah, but I think coming back to the main topic, uh, China is definitely improving their technology, but I think they're not too innovative, but they're just uh, great at uh, getting technology from different countries. Yeah. For example, I remember back in the 90s. Uh, uh, there was a contract to be signed between uh, Russia, formerly Soviet Union, and China to mm -hmm. sell the Su-27 fighters. And the Sukhoi Design Bureau wasn't really too keen on selling the fighters mm -hmm. because they were certain that uh, that the Chinese would just simply copy the airplane, which they did eventually, yeah. and offer their version to different you know uh, customers. So what China just did, they just bought the design schematics from Ukraine because mm -hmm. Ukraine still had them from the former Soviet Union. Yeah. And they still reverse engineered this. And the backbone of Air Force right now is their version of the Su-27. So Yeah, that's true. And that's why you can make this argument that it's uh, kind of foolish, uh, I guess, to sell them at least S-400. I would, I would be okay with selling S-300, maybe like the new version, this, I guess, 350. They have like this new version, you know, modernized version as 300 but maybe as 400 is pretty cutting-edge technology to sell 
I mean, this is like uh, this uh, international politics when it gets to yeah. like this uh, chessboard and you have like different players, which I don't really sympathize. Mm-hmm. But I mean, you still definitely see, you know, Putin and Xi like meeting with each other and have this like private conversations about how you're going to like divide the world. You have the map and they say, well, this is my territory, this is your territory. And Very much I, like uh, 19th century. Yeah, kind of Game of Thrones, but... <laughs> game of Game of and this, they, they believe in this system, and uh, I mean that's why it, it still exists. Not because it's, I guess, embedded in our system, but probably because some people still believe in this. And yeah, uh, well, maybe let's switch to another topic. Sure. Uh, from Chinese, how do you feel about the virus? And let's say, so I would small. It will be my small introduction to this, mm-hmm. maybe topic. So you can see, a virus as something is. Uh, you know, kind of brought all these issues that were with us for, for a while. It's not like new issues, but I would say like privacy, modern technologies, um, internet, how, you know, how we change our like work work patterns and like education, everything is online and something like this. So you can see in some case, in some, in some kind of vision, the virus is something that it's actually, um, it has this projection of like modern world, like mm-hmm. kind of a little bit, uh, super emphasized, but you still see like all kind of like issue that we discussed like in like late like last twenty years. Now we see them in reality. So how do you think like virus changing us, you know, uh, and world and social structures, everything? Um, I have read a very interesting article of one Polish journalist who is basically uh, you can agree with this or not, but he said that all those. Uh, restrictions imposed by the virus are uh, basically against the core values which people call European Mm -hmm. values and uh, this journalist criticized that uh, because of the virus all the European democracies or democracies of the world they uh, allowed for measures to be introduced exactly same measures as in totalitarian China and the claim was that the virus basically undermined the base idea of Western democracy because yeah. societies allowed for same drastic measures yeah. where liberties are limited uh, to be introduced exactly the same un- as in the completely undemocratic China. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I would like to you know ask you what do you think about this argument? Well, I thought a lot about this, and actually, I disagree. disagree you do? Now, yeah. Perfect. Let's have a disagreement. <laughs> yeah, we should have some disagreements to spark our um, pod, my podcast and just like our Absolutely. conversations. Absolutely. I would disagree because when you feel it a little bit deeply, you, you would say, okay, but there is like some similarities. You couldn't deny this, and this is true. You know, rules of the game. Now, can, you can apply it like to every country, and you know, in every almost in every country. But then you think it and you kind of develop this idea, but then you could not in some countries, for example, leave your home in democratic countries. And then you think, well, but this is not even like, you know, the core of democracy, but this is something like feudalism. You have like your own, like, you know, land, kind of like your flat. Yeah. It's, and then you could not leave your flat. And then it's kind of preposterously maybe like a joke, but this is a reality right now. It is. And then I think it's about, like, then I think it's, maybe it's, this is an argument, this is, like, easy to make, you know, that all countries kind of, um, um, like, take you some, take rights from you, but then it's actually what you have to do when you have to, 
you 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 have to curb yourself in something to for the common common goal and this is something that you know happened in the past and that's why i think it's 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 a little bit tricky to make this argument that we are coming back you know to this authoritarian society and democracies actually i don't think so um i think i think it's because it's then it's, it's it's kind of a joke you don't like what kind of society it is when you you couldn't leave your flat then it's like something you know um you know like, curfews are typical for totalitarian regimes that, like on the one hand it's true but on the other hand this is i would more i, I kind of buy this uh, you know war argument this is kind of like an enemy and uh you just like if you go somewhere you just kill someone yes, yes. and that's why you have to do it and this is nothing i mean wars are also typical you know for, for like were typical for some democracies it's not like something uh unique only to authoritarian regimes but wars between two democracies are very rare yeah but this is uh, we couldn't name a virus like another democracy like of but this is also a system course, yes. and you know virus is also a system actually. it is yes uh, this is interesting how one system competes with another system and this is like where it gets i mean i agree with your arguments that uh it is necessary unfortunately it is uh but i can still you know express my uh my yeah. sadness over the fact that it's necessary because it creates this uh acceptance in a lot of um, people yeah. that such measures sometimes may be necessary yeah. and perhaps in the future when such measures will be introduced by some, you know, power-hungry mm -hmm. politician. Again, people will be, okay, yeah, we've done this before, we can do that, no yeah. worries. Uh, but yes, I, I hope that uh, such things will not happen, and I hope that democratic countries will uh, learn a lesson from this, that perhaps uh, you shouldn't, you know, only uh, use your state money to ensure mm -hmm. your re-election next term. Maybe you should... Uh, put more money into your healthcare system. Yeah. Uh, let's look at the example of Sweden, where the healthcare is just, you know, very well developed yeah. and it's very well funded. Uh, and uh, they have basically no restrictions as of today in Sweden. And the number yeah. of cases uh, is pretty low. It's below 20,000 as of today. Um, so this is an example of a country which was thinking mm -hmm. about the future, not about, you know, the next four or five years, depending on the country when they yeah. have elections. Uh, I hope that countries learn like this, something like this. Uh, and let's look at my beloved home country, Poland, yeah. which basically underfunded the healthcare system for years and years because all the different ruling parties would rather, you know, spend the money yeah. ensuring their re-election, uh, uh, instituting terrible social programs that will just, you know, buy the people, giving them money and buy yeah. votes. And the healthcare system is just in ruin right now. Yeah. And the only way to combat the virus is to lock people totally in their homes and not allow them to leave even to go for a walk in the park. Yeah. Um, yeah, this is another topic, I guess. You definitely see a lot of inequalities in current situation. Uh, on the one hand, you see a lot of inequalities in terms of in world politics. You see, you know, what country is going to open up first. I guess it's like Germany is a good example. For if you compare, even compare like Germany and France, which are kind of on the same scale in terms of wealth. I mean, France is still, maybe it's not it's not wealthy in terms of how pe how people are wealthy, but it's still like pretty well. Like yeah, of course. a lot of uh, countries accumulated a lot of wealth. 
but because of you know they don't invest too much in people in social probably in uh, in social capital they just in, uh, they don't invest too much on education on healthcare system and something like this you know, social capital so to speak mm-hmm. uh, then you see for example France is going to open later than Germany it's going to have some consequences on economy for example Germany is already opening even though it closed uh, actually later than France for example and this also like demonstrates you you know how like some trivial things in your life can I mean uh, can uh, have an impact on international relations and uh, world politics like just and this inequality they are so obvious and apparent like everywhere and and also like in the u.s is very interesting country in these terms because the u.s is like, like the richest country in the world but then you see how like they like de- poorly develop uh, in terms of social system and in terms of healthcare and in terms of like education and something like that yeah yeah and it's uh, nice that you mentioned the u.s here i think uh this is a clear sign that the U.S. is declining on the international scale right now. When you look at history and you look at great empires and their, you know, times of greatness, they do not decline simply uh, because yeah. of some political, uh, political developments. Usually they decline slowly, slowly over time, and what kills them is some great crisis. That is true, but... Yeah, this is this is one I guess aspect of this, and you couldn't deny that that there is like definitely some kind of decline, and that's why I guess there is like easy. Uh, it is so easy to make this argument that uh, the US needs to go back to its you know roots. It has a lot of problems to solve, and it, should, it shouldn't be now kind of like a hegemon that the world probably needs just because they don't have enough resources. And you don't, I mean, you shouldn't just waste uh, other resources, just, I don't know, it's just stupid to waste, like, these resources. You won't, like, reach your goal, and you clearly, I mean, the US could not reach its goals, uh, I mean, vis-a-vis, like, Russia, vis-a-vis China, it could not, I mean, like, for example, if you talk about post-Soviet, uh, post-Soviet space, like, their goal was, like, just, you know, to prevent any kind of, like, Russian influence in post-Soviet space, and now you see, I mean, you still see, like, a lot of Russian influence in post-Soviet countries. Even though they they were some, um, especially of course in zeros with an enlargement of NATO, and some like there was a big progress in this direction. But like now there's a total different situation. Yeah, I think that the U.S. over the course of the years they overstretched. Oh, yeah. They had their influence in Europe. Uh, they expanded their influence with the uh, expansion of NATO, as you said. Yeah. Uh, then they had their guarantees on Ukraine. They got involved in the Middle East and Syria. Yeah. They are involved in the South China Sea and Chinese and the Chinese region, yeah. Taiwan. They are in conflict with Iran. They're just overextended. And even though they're just a super powerful empire, they cannot handle this. They could have handled uh, being the global hegemon back during the Cold War because they had just one enemy, mm-hmm. which was located in Eastern Europe and basically yeah, Asia. This... So you could just station all of troops in Eastern Europe and be, you know, be calm. But right yeah. now they're overextended. And my prediction for the US would be that they will be slowly declining. There will still be, a, of course, a formidable power in the world. Yeah. But I think their influence will diminish to kind of like Theodore Roosevelt times, you know, North America and South America. Yeah. influence. And I'm, I, I honestly cannot see the US being a global empire after this crisis. Yeah, 
But then it's a question whether we need one, you know. This is like another topic to discuss because, for example, we have, I guess, if you would look at European Union, something more, you know, the Union of States. If we look uh, at European Union as some kind of united, you know, political body, which I couldn't, I couldn't say now it is. But oh, it totally isn't. But for example, in the future, like like whether we need some kind of hegemon, like uh, I mean, they have a similar budget. I mean, not not like united budget, but if you you know just sum up the GDPs of all these countries, you have the same similar budget to the US. Yes, yes. You have, I mean, I, you have like technological powers, like you mm-hmm. know, uh, for, like France and Germany. Uh, you have like the most developed countries, and you have big market, which is independent. <laughs> Totally and the dependent. population is bigger than the U.S. combined. Yeah. You, you don't even need to have, you know, uh, you don't even need to sell your products overseas because you have such a like, big market, you know, in your own, so, so to speak, uh, political unit. Yeah. And um, then there is a good question whether, like, we really need the U.S. as a global hegemon. And, you know, after, there's, like, a good argument to make. After 90s, U.S. kind of, like, lost its sense of uh, existence in the world because, I mean, what's... What's the role of the U.S. when there is nothing to like to, to combat? Yes, this is true. The U.S. came out of the uh, you know seclusion and yeah. isolation, especially to uh, be this you know uh, defense against communism. And now that the main communist force being but being yeah. USSR is no more, the U.S. exactly lost its purpose, and NATO as well yeah. lost its purpose. And that's why you know there's so. Um, they really like this idea of uh, rivalry, you know, vis-a-vis like Russia, like in less extent vis-a-vis China, but still, you know, they kind of like cling to this uh, view of, you know, NATO should exist to combat some foreign power or something like this. That's what I feel like happening with uh, Russia, for definitely, and with China, like of course, like mm-hmm. you see. But with China again, it's 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 actually like real rivalry. I guess with Russia, it's more in our minds. It doesn't really exist. I, I would say so. I wouldn't say that honestly. The U.S. and uh, Russia have too many conflicting interests. But they, they act like they can. Like... Yes, I mean I think it's like a remnant of the Cold War, to be honest. Yeah. Which still resonates, but doesn't uh, really mean too much. I mean the crisis in Ukraine. Uh, well, the U.S. gave its guarantee to Ukraine after the dissolution mm-hmm. of the Soviet Union and the agreements of withdrawal of nuclear arms from Ukraine. Yeah. But, uh, well, I think that the current administration doesn't really care about these arrangements, and I don't feel like yeah. they have too many influences over Ukraine, and they don't have any, uh, you know, claims of influence over Ukraine. I really don't feel they yeah. would like to be engaged there. In Syria, I don't think they should be... They have anything to win over there? uh, Yeah, in general. And I guess what they did, you know, after this illusion of like Soviet Union, they just like extended their like as you as you said, extended their powers way too much, and like then the U.S. kind of like it was obvious that the U.S. is just kind of like became this evil empire. This is kind of. Uh, call it evil. Yeah, I would say so because look, they like they did stuff that you know even Soviet Union. I mean, did back in the days, for example, with Afghanistan. But then they did the same with the, like in Iraq, for example. And this is like clear like evil move. If you, I mean, if you take into account uh, how like the world system works, you know, you just couldn't go and invade another country just because you don't like some leader. This is like a little bit. Uh, feudally, feudal like Europe style of governance and 
this created a lot of uh, problems in Middle East, and I yes, that, totally that's true. Against. I think we can compare like the U.S. invasion of Iraq to you know the idea is to bring democracy, right? Yeah, so, uh, you know it's the same thing how the early Soviet Union like was trying to bring communism to different yeah. countries, you know, using their bayonets, not yeah. not the will of the people. And then the same was like true, for example, with Obama, like with his idea to bring, you know, democracy to these countries to support this uh, um, uh, protest. Which again, I, I I want to I want to be clear. I'm not against this protest, but I'm against like U.S. actions. Mm -hmm. It doesn't like really, you know. Some people can say, well, uh, you you just like you, you deny, you know, the right of the people to protest. No, look, I don't deny the right of the people to protest. I just deny the right of the U.S. like to interfere so easily. You know, just like send troops, for example, as they did. Not send troops, like, but send some. Oh, of course, I, I can say send some troops to uh, Libya, for example, in 2011, and then claim that it's all, you know, for like human rights and something like this. That is something like very imperial in its core, because you couldn't really just like build democracy like this. Yes, that's true. I think that uh, the European Union has a nice approach to supporting democratic yeah. movements in different countries. They have special funds that basically... Uh, they have special funds that say you live in an authoritarian country and you have a democratic movement. Yeah. You can basically uh, petition the EU to sponsor you. And the EU sponsors many democratic movements, which, is, which are, of course, non-violent. That's yeah. the requirement. And I think that's a way better uh, way of promoting democracy. And it's more democratic mm -hmm. because, you know, bringing democracy with your bayonets yeah. isn't really democratic. It's not democratic, but... I guess it just it doesn't really work like this because you couldn't, you know, really go... It's not something like you go and build just like from the scratch. You should have a very developed society. And you see even in Europe you have some problems with democracy. It's not like, you know, it's uh, it just historical or just like, you know, you can easily transplant, you know, for democracy from one country to another. There should be a lot of happening. And I guess the two tools are very... Uh, good for this is probably education and migration. You know, when people migrate to a country, uh, when they come back one day, they will be with these ideas uh, in their mind, with the yeah. knowledge how to build probably some kind of democratic institutions because they already lived in the country with democratic, um, you know, democratic roots, democratic society. Um, and what, I, what did I say? Like the second one? Yeah, it's like education and migration. I think this is like two um, two kind of cornerstones of uh, promoting democracy in the world. Because otherwise, uh, this is like very cynical and it doesn't really work. And as we now see, you know, it, it didn't work. <laughs> Definitely, it did not. Yeah. Absolutely. So, um, did we cover everything? I think we exhausted the topics for today, I think. Yeah, I guess we discussed uh, everything that mm -hmm. we wanted. And thanks for tuning in. As usual. Um, sign uh, sign up. I don't know, rate us in, like, on whatever platform you're listening to us. Join us on Twitter as well. Join us on Twitter. You can send us personal messages. I don't know, just, you know, show signs of life. <laughs> show us some love. Yeah, and see you. Goodbye.